You're listening to the Bitcoin.com podcast, the number one place in the world to learn about Bitcoin. Open your first wallet, buy your first Satoshis, and get involved in the Bitcoin ecosystem that is changing the world as we know it. Satoshi Nakamoto, wherever you are, thank you for making all this possible. Now, let's get started. Hey, this is Bitcoin Brian here, and we are on a Bitcoin.com podcast. I got a special guest today. His name is Corb Lund. Corb is a roots country singer coming out of Alberta, Canada. He's got nine albums launched with his band, and uh, he's got some really interesting music. You know, I've listened in on on the music. I've, I've never really been that much into country, but uh, I started listening to his stuff since I got to know Corb a little bit, and uh, it's really different. You know, it's different than the stuff that I've listened to on the radio. It's kind of got this funky, real fun kind of groove, you know, so definitely uh, recommend you guys checking that out, but uh, you know, Cor Corb is uh, very, very talented at what he does, and, and I've come to find out that he's actually been in Bitcoin for a while, so I, I thought I'd have him on and, and you guys could talk. Hey, w welcome to uh, welcome to the Bitcoin.com podcast, Corb. Thanks. Good to be here. All right. So, so about the music, I, I kind of wanted to let you uh, take the reins here a little bit and just kind of tell people about your music. Um, you know, where, where was it derived from? Uh, kind of what you're doing and, and, you know, a little bit about uh, what's happening with, uh, with, with Corb Lund and the Hurt and Albertans. Sure. Uh, for, I'll start with my name. So it, it's, people don't get, it's kind of a mumbly name. People don't always get it. So it's, it's C-O-R-B Corb. Lund, L-U-N-D, Charlie, Oscar, Romeo, Bravo, Lima, Uniform, November, Delta. So that's important. But yeah, so I, I play um, kind of underground fringe country music. And it's kind of roughly, I explain it to people in terms of it being roughly equivalent to uh, underground rock music compared to radio rock music. Um, it's kind of, uh, it's more free. And the people in my scene, my friends that write songs and, and uh, are my contemporaries, we sort of um, are more... Uh, well, we like to think more creative than some of the radio stuff. Uh, the, the mainstream radio stuff is a different sort of flavor, and it's much like rock radio music. It's quite formulated, and it has to fit within a fairly narrow parameter of uh, sonics and in style. Whereas in our scene, it's kind of uh, wide open. So there's a lot of um, a lot of personality in, in the songwriting and in, in the underground country scene. And um, actually, a lot of the radio people don't don't write their own music, and all of us do. So it's it's a little bit more it's a little more raw, and it's a little more personal, a little more uh, a little more old-fashioned, like uh, you know, from the '70s, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson school, sort of. Yeah, you know, I've I've listened to it. It's definitely you know since the last time we talked, and uh, I had a lot of fun listening to it more so than I have on you know some of the country music I listen to uh, on the radio. So I, I definitely know what you're talking about there. Uh, it seems like you have get, kind of a different um, di differences in your your type of uh, fans. Like not everybody's the same type of fan you know, that listens to your music. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's true. Uh, my audience is pretty diverse. It's 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 partly made up of uh, like I, I grew up in a in a really rural cowboy family in the Rocky Mountains in, in Alberta. Alberta geographically is north of Wyoming and Montana in Canada, so it's culturally a lot like the cowboy states in America. A lot of cattle and, and horses and, and wide open spaces and frontier stuff. Um, but yeah, a good chunk of my audience are those people like uh, who actually still live that way and are working cowboys and, and uh, rural people and agricultural people. But then the other chunk of my audience are sort of, um, you know, folk festival, sort of uh, microbrew drinking uh, NPR type list songwriter fans. So I have this interesting mix of people that come to the show. So it's, that's, I'm kind of proud of that, actually. I think that's a good thing that music can sometimes bring people together in a way that 
politics don't. Yeah, no, I agree. Doesn't. I mean, I, I think that's awesome. You know, Bitcoin is one thing that's doing that as well, kind of bringing people together from all <laughs> walks of life, right? Uh, so, so, sure. you're, you're, so you're doing some touring. Um, you know, where, where do you tour and, and what's your favorite place to tour? Um, we're from Canada, so we play pretty regularly in Canada. We play a lot in, in the States, um, all over the States. Europe, uh, UK, Australia. We haven't got to Japan yet. Well, dude, you hook me up for Japan. Come over there. I'm going to do my best. I definitely want to get you out here. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's funny you were saying before. I, I get that phrase a lot. I get to, I don't usually like country music, but that, 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 <laughs> we hear that quite a bit because um, it's it's kind of got a blend of a lot of old-fashioned things in it. It's got rockabilly and it's got a little bit of 50s rock and roll and it's got... It's got Western swing and it's got bluegrass all mixed together. And we have the freedom to sort of, we don't have to try to worry about being on the radio. So we can do whatever the hell we want. Sort of. So it's pretty fun. It's good music. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It sounds great. Anybody listening, I highly recommend that you go and, uh, you know, listen in on, on Corb Lund and his music. He's got a website, you know, you can follow his YouTube channel, that kind of stuff. So make sure to pay attention to that. So uh, really, we, we were talking um, a bit about Bitcoin and how you've been into it for a while. So I'd kind of like to give the listeners a little bit of background on you about, you know, uh, let, let you kind of take it there and, and tell them, you know, how, how you got into Bitcoin, where, where you first heard about it, um, how you end up made, making your purchases in Bitcoin, and then kind of how, you, how you're transacting in Bitcoin, how you use it in your daily life. Yeah, um, I think we talked about this off air, but the, the first time that I really remember Bitcoin was because I was, I was really fascinated by uh, the currency that you, they used to use in Second Life, I, I looked it up. It's called Linden, Linden, like Linden coin or Linden currency or something. Mm-hmm. But I, I was that was the first time that that I that I put together two and two in terms of people having on some kind of online digital currency and 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 trying because because people were selling it for real money. I think I think it was a hundred to one or something. But but it it it, it sort of made me think about what money actually was and, and sort of making me think about how the the transference of, of digital assets online could, could become real money and vice versa. And then another friend of mine a couple of years later than that was playing one of those one of those early mass online war games or something. I don't really play video games much anymore, but uh, he was he was buying and selling castles or something for hundreds of dollars, real money, and I was fascinated by that. And and, and then Bitcoin came along and I felt like that was sort of a, a an actual real world uh, um, and, and you know, better, th- those are just sort of locks in the game and stuff, and just for fun. But but um, Bitcoin seemed like a really uh, well thought out way of, of um, digitizing money. And I mean, we all all of our banks obviously have digitized money in their own way, but they control it. So, but the more I read about it, uh, the more the more I was fascinated by how it was. What do you call it? Supra supranational. You know, it transcends nation states and it and it transcends banks and, and all that stuff. And I found that really fascinating. I still do. And it's still it's still one of the most fascinating things about it is how it's a work in progress and how it's truly kind of democratic, like the whole open source aspect of it makes it really, and, and the fork that we're looking at right now currently is, is really interesting to watch. And I think, I think it's going to, um, I think it sort of, um, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot more things like that in the future that, that are sort of yeah, basically voted on. You know, by Bitcoin and all the other cryptocurrencies out there are only continuing to grow more and more. Uh, more people are recognizing their usefulness and their use cases to be able to use it in their daily lives. Um, I can tell you that my most recent purchase was actually this morning. I, I spent 2.5 Bitcoin on a, a Bitcoin investment. I do a lot of investing in Bitcoin. Uh, my most recent purchase beyond investment was just a few days ago where I purchased around the world tour uh, flights. Uh, with Bitcoin on CheapAir.com. 
Um, so, so that's pretty cool. I was curious, um, you know, what, uh, what, what's the last transaction you had in Bitcoin and what was your first transaction in Bitcoin? Um, the last one, was, the last transactions were in, in Las Vegas, I think. Uh, the, there's a, a casino called the D downtown that accepts Bitcoin. So yeah, there was, there was some of that going on. Yeah. I'm and the first one, I, the bulk of, to be honest, the bulk of mine have been related to either transferring it between me and other people or for other cryptocurrencies. Like I, I don't live in a real urban center. So when I go to New York or Berlin, I try to, I try to make use of it. But so far, as you know, it's, it hasn't spread to, it hasn't spread to super wide adoption in terms of day-to-day -day use and, and the, and the slowness of the, the, the issues they're having with the current core stuff is probably part of the problem too, I think, because, because it, it, it takes a long time for transactions to go through and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's more expensive. When I, when I first started using it in, in 2012, it was pretty much instant and it costs, you know, I don't know, the 10th of a cent or something. And that's changed a lot. So that's, that's, I think for me personally made it a little tougher to use it on a daily basis because you can't just, uh, you can't wait around for two or three hours to confirm your coffee transaction, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, you mentioned a little bit about how, you know, it's a little bit hard to, you know, use it in your daily lives and stuff like that. Do you have any opinion on what would be kind of the catalyst or what would be the, the thing that, that could help, you know, mass adoption with Bitcoin? What, what do you think might be holding it back uh, from really kind of reaching all across the globe uh, in a faster way? I think it's just time. Like, I think that stuff will all work itself out. The way I look at it, I mean, I've been around long enough that I've seen a number of technologies start as kind of bleeding edge nerd stuff. And then within three years, every housewife was using it. Like in my business, it was Napster, right? Um, MP3s came along. And I remember when MP3s were first new, my friends were into them that were kind of tech people. I, I'm like medium tech. I'm kind of techish, but not, not like my super tech friends. And so um, I remember at the beginning, it was kind of, tricky to use mp3s but it was it was doable but you had to kind of screw around a little bit but then within a few years everybody uses them without any real thought and the same thing happened with uh you know i, I remember the first time i got an email on my phone i had a palm pilot and i had my cell phone and i had a cable between them and i remember seeing the, the progress bar for like a 6k email or whatever and it was amazing i was sitting i was playing cards at the time but i remember it coming through over a couple of minutes and i was amazed to get this email on my phone and now people don't even think about it right so I think it's the same thing. I think it's just a matter of sticking around long enough and having the, you know, the coder guys figure out the, the user interface and make it simpler. And as it stands now, you have to, you have to kind of, it's better than it was when I started and looking at it in 2012, but, but you still have to kind of be quite aware of what you're doing because there's no backup really. Like there's, there's no 1-800 number to call. So I, whenever I bring new friends into Bitcoin, I tell them you have to be really responsible for this because there's no, there's no central authority that can refund your money. And if it's gone, it's gone. Oh, so yeah, most definitely, you know, if, uh, if you're going to be getting into Bitcoin, essentially you're becoming your own bank, right? So now, you know, being your own bank, you have to be responsible for your own security. Uh, if you're going to trust yeah. a third party to be the security for you, then that's just kind of what got us into the problem with banks in the first place, right? Is us trusting them and then sure. letting them, you know, run away with uh, most of our money. So, you know, getting into Bitcoin, you know, you're essentially becoming your own bank. You want to make sure to take care of your own security, which is highly important. But, you know, it's companies like, um, you know, blockchain.info and, you know, Trezor and, you know, things like that that are kind of making it a little bit easier for people to use it and making it a little bit more secure uh, on the day-to-day -day transactions and stuff. And, and what I believe um, is, is, is what you, you're saying, you know, it needs to get easier and easier, but it also needs to become more secure with that ease. 
And uh, I believe the companies that start breaking into that realm, and I know there's a lot of projects working right now to, to work towards that, but once they do, that's when I think mass adoption will happen. Yeah, it's already way, way better than it was, you know, like I say, four or five years ago. And I think it'll just get better. And I tell people too, and I'm trying to explain it to them. I'm sure you've done this a million times, but when someone asks you about Bitcoin, you have to start from square one and explain the whole thing to them and go through the stages of well, who regulates it? Well, what's, why is it worth money? And you have to explain it all to them. But the thing I tell people is that it seems like just about every aspect of our lives is being turned upside down by technology. Like Netflix did Blockbuster and Uber doing it to cabs and, you know, Priceline did it to travel agencies. And there's, there's no reason to think that, that banking and finances wouldn't be subject to similar disruptions because, I mean, in fact, they're more ripe for it than some of the other industries, I think. I think it's high time that they got their shit sorted out for them. <laughs> and they're clearly not doing it themselves, right? So yeah, I, I, I think that that's an inevitability, really. Hopefully, anyway. Yeah, sure. They're no, crooked as hell. I mean, I've, I've essentially made it my life's mission to teaching people about Bitcoin and, and uh, you know, crypto and, and, you know, blockchain tech because, you know, I really do see this as the way of the future. Uh, will it always be Bitcoin in the future? Nobody can answer that question, right? Just like you said, what, you know, Uber did to cabs and, you know, what Facebook did to MySpace even, you know. So um, it's, there's a possibility for anything in the future. But right now I can say that anybody should be getting involved in Bitcoin. They should be getting involved in cryptocurrencies. It's nowhere. I mean, the biggest question I receive is, is it too late? You know, and it's definitely not too late. I mean, I think it's I've never been more bullish on Bitcoin. I mean, you've seen the price soar within the last, you know, couple of weeks. Um, a lot of that had to do with, you know, Bitcoin cash splitting off and everybody was worried that it was going to just have this big sell off and, and all that. But the, the opposite's been true and that Bitcoin is really starting to come into its own. And if you're listening now, I highly recommend that you buy Bitcoin. Yeah, it's funny because I've got friends that I've been I've been on their butt about it for years now and, and they put it off and put it off and it's gone from, you know, when I, I think my average buy in was 450 or something like that. And, and they say, oh, I should have done it because now it's almost 10 times the price. But, but I still think that it's I still think that it's peanuts compared to what it'll be, you know, five or 10 years from now. Like, I think I think, you know, I, I wish I would have got into it when it was two bucks or 10 bucks or 31 bucks or 200 bucks. I didn't. But I still think that at, at 2700, I still think it's cheap, cheap, cheap compared to five or, five or 10 years from now. Yeah, just looking at it right now, it's actually reached uh, up to thirty two hundred dollars a coin. For Bitcoin, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Last night, you know, you know, I think that um, I, I think that it's. Uh, I tell people that I'm not certain that Bitcoin will be a big thing five years from now, but I'm, I, you know, I, if I had to lay odds on it, I'd say maybe seventy five percent. But I tell them that, like, if it's not Bitcoin, I tell them it's more like about ninety eight percent chance that some crypto will be, because I think that I think that it's totally inevitable. You know, I think the banking the banking system has it coming. Yeah, I know and, blockchain uh, technology is probably what I would say the greatest invention of the 20th century um, and maybe the greatest invention ever because uh, it's really revolutionized the way that we can use money and that we can transfer value between each other without having to trust a third party. I think that's huge. Yeah, and it's, and, fun, it's funny watching um, w watching banks become aware of it and, 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 and try to get their heads around it. You know, they form a committee to study it and how can we use this and then they realize what it is and they're like, holy shit, this is scaring us, right? Because you know, if they if they uh, if they if they really do see it adopted fully, I don't see what unless banks specialize specifically in just loans and stuff. You know, maybe, maybe I'm sure there's a role for them, but it's going to be drastically different. Like there's no well, as soon as the printing of the money stops, everything's different, right? 
Yeah, and I think that's I find that's it, long overdue. <laughs> what do you think? I find uh, it, go ahead. I find Roger's views on Roger's views on how it'll affect nation states is really interesting too. Like his his whole angle about how it it might slow down war and stuff is interesting. I don't know if it's if it's if it'll play out that way, but it's it's fascinating because it's kind of true. Like governments just turn on the printing presses and go to war and pay for it later. And you, if, if if everyone's on a, a globalized ledger where you can't screw around like that, I mean, it kind of changes things, right? Yeah, talking about paying for it later, I mean, when do you actually pay for it? I think the U.S. right now is over $20 trillion in debt. I mean, that, that can't last. You can't just continue and continue to, to raise the debt ceiling and, and just never really pay for, for stuff, but keep printing money and keep uh, you know going to war and things like that. So I do agree with some of those views. Uh, whether it can completely cut out war, I don't know, um, but I hope so. I'm definitely not a fan of, of war, but uh, there's, there's some bad people out there in the world. Sorry. Historically, a lot of historically a lot of civilizations have 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 been brought down by their by the inflation of their currency. So I don't see this being much different than a lot of other uh, historical examples. Yeah, it's 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 funny, you know, because people talk about the dollar and stuff and and or the euro or or whatever, and and it seems like an impossibility that it could ever crash because it's one of those things where it's an impossibility until it happens. But if you ask the people in Bosnia or Zimbabwe or Argentina or Venezuela, I mean, that's a reality. Currency can lose its confidence overnight if you're not careful. Yeah, I mean, there's actually people in Venezuela right now that are actually being able to eat and have food because they have Bitcoin and because they're sneaking it through. Yeah. Colombia, you know, so that's pretty, yeah. pretty real for them, I bet. And uh, also, pretty... also in Greece, you know, you've seen what happened with, you know, them basically shutting off uh, people being able to take withdrawals out of the ATMs and there's a story that just popped up recently about in the EU for failing banks. They're talking about stopping withdrawals out of that. Well, I can tell you that nobody's going to stop your withdrawal out of Bitcoin and uh, you'll be able to use it uh, any, anywhere that you are. Uh, so, you know, I was I was wondering if, um, you know, when you have your shows and you're touring around, do you guys accept Bitcoin for, for tickets or anything like that? Or uh, is that something that you guys are looking into doing in the future? Yeah, I am looking into it. We tried it for a little while. It was it was difficult because of some of the transaction stuff we were talking about earlier. But I think that uh, I I think that it'll improve. And so yeah, definitely we'd like to do that. I think I think on we sell our stuff on Shopify, and I think you can buy stuff on Shopify with Bitcoin for sure. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah, that's wonderful. I I know that you can do a, a lot of different type of purchasing, you know, online at major sites even like Amazon and stuff with a thing called Purse.io. Uh, essentially, you can buy anything on Amazon at a discount uh, with Bitcoin. Uh, there's a lot of uh, things that are making it easier and easier to use, but I sure wish that those sites would just recognize the power of it and start accepting of it directly uh, right away. Um, so, so on your on your website, you know, you you sell things uh, on your website as well, like like paraphernalia. You have like um, you know T-shirts yeah. and hats and and you know jackets and those kind of things. Yeah, we have all that stuff, and it's it's uh, it's sold through a through a. An online portal called Shopify, which which is okay. sort of a it's like a turnkey uh, online store. So uh, yeah, I, I haven't I'm not I haven't been as proactive and as successful at integrating Bitcoin usage into my daily life as much as as I've been interested in watching it and investing in it. But I hope that that, that changes soon. It's it's tricky because because of the kind of music I play, we spend a lot of our time in rural areas, which are often the last areas to get new technologies. Not so too, not too like, often you're one of those spots and they got a Bitcoin ATM in the corner local bar. <laughs> yeah, then we know, then we know it's made it. Yeah. My brother, my brother is an oil rigger, and he's uh, I I had him I convinced him to buy some Bitcoin a few years ago and he's quite happy with me now. He owes me some beer for that. Yeah, but probably he, more than a couple. Out of the blue, 
out of the blue the other day, he asked me what I thought about Ethereum. And he's, if, if my brother, he's a, he's a smart guy, but he doesn't keep up with this stuff. So if my brother is asking about Ethereum, it tells me that it, this stuff is getting to the point where it's reaching the mainstream, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it, right? And so they say that once a cab driver is offering you advice on, on blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies, then it's probably mainstream at that point. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I kind of think that if it happens, it might happen pretty quick. Because I remember, I remember smartphones were, you know, six or eight years ago or something but they came about pretty quickly like it was it was um kind of a geek thing for quite a while and then all of a sudden overnight within a year everybody had one and, and it, within another year no one even thought twice about the usage it was just sort of a normal part of life so i i think it could actually go that way with, with bitcoin as soon as they get the you know sort of so sort of the fork thing has to work itself out and some of the user interface stuff has to get a bit simpler but i, I think that once they sort that out it could go pretty quickly Sure, sure. And and based on that, you know, what, do you really have any kind of predictions towards Bitcoin? Like, what do you think the price is going to end up being? And, and <laughs> sorry, and, and I don't I was, know. I was going to say, what, what just... uh, did you have any predictions on what the price of Bitcoin may be uh, in the future? And, and what do you think about Bitcoin Cash and its ability to grow? Um, I'm not in, I'm, there's people way above my pay grade who can make better predictions about the, the value of it. But I mean, if, you know, back of the envelope kind of math, if you think about it, well, last time I read there's something like two or three million users or something. So, you know, the way it's made to just move the decimal place over and there's a limited amount of them. So, you know, if it becomes popular enough that 2 billion people use it, basically you just move the decimal. <laughs> That's a good way to think about it. <laughs> so, uh... but in terms of. In terms of Bitcoin Cash and the fork and stuff, I'm, you know, I only know I'm not super. I don't know much about code or anything, so I don't I don't know the ins and outs of it. And, and so I've been reading about it as much as I can for the last couple of years. But like, to me, I, I've noticed that the, the, the transaction lag and and because I've been using it since 13, 12 or thirteen, I think. So I mean, I remember t the time when it was super fast and super cheap. And from everything I've read about Satoshi's vision of it, that's how it's supposed to be. And it seems to me that for whatever reason, I know there's three or four different uh, opinions on why Core is doing what they're doing, but whatever they're doing, it's slowing it down and it's making it more difficult to use. So I don't see how that, I don't see how that scales really. So, I mean, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm, I'm avidly watching the, the Bitcoin Cash thing and hope, hoping that it either takes off and becomes Bitcoin or else forces the core people to adjust their their uh, parameters so that so that it's more usable one way or the other i don't really care but as long as it becomes more usable i think that's necessary yeah you know i i was been been operating in bitcoin um for quite some time quite a, quite a many years now and and there was a time you know in the beginning when it was extremely fast and extremely cheap um you know transactions were happening in minutes and and you know the transactions were pennies um and then you know of this big debate that was happening and transactions started taking a long time became more expensive um, but of recently, I would say that, you know, transactions have gotten much faster since that time when they were getting yeah. really slow and uh, they're becoming cheaper as well. So I, I think I, I like the direction that, that Bitcoin is going in and what Bitcoin Cash is, is bringing to the table with the larger blocks and allowing more transactions. And um, I think that's going to help correct the, the problems that were of past about, you know, being able to, you know, get your transactions done quickly and to get them done cheaply. So, uh, yeah, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I hope so. Because I actually felt, I actually feel sad about it because, I mean, there's a few reasons I'm interested in Bitcoin. One is that, you know, we, we can all stand and make a pretty good buck on it. But more importantly, like I'm, I'm really interested in, in the, in the utility of it and how it can change things in the world. 
and that's only hap- that's only possible if it's quick and fast. And I remember when it was quick and fast, and 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 to see how it's become so bogged down, it makes me really. If if there's any truth to, I know there's different theories on this, different opinions, but if there's any truth to the fact that someone's deliberately keeping it slowed down for whatever nefarious reason, it it really makes me sad because I, I think it has a has an op- it's an opportunity for the for for currency to really um, become a lot less oppressive for for the people of the world. That sounds a little bit hippie, but I think it's true. Yeah, what I can tell you is that, you know, Bitcoin uh, has, you know, essentially died. I don't know how many times now, um, you know, all the different issues. There's been a bunch before. This isn't the first scaling issue there's been uh, with Bitcoin um, and scaling. Having a scaling issue, I think, is kind of a, a good thing in a way because it means that the actual there's a lot more people using it and that you need to grow to be able to handle that traffic. But, you know, it's it's becoming easier to use. Um, it's 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 at the level now where, you know, you're starting to hear about it positively, positively in the news where you didn't before. I remember back in the beginning when they were talking negatively about the internet in the news, saying that it was for criminals and drug dealers, and then all of a sudden, you know, the internet blew up and it's everywhere, and now the news channels are using the internet to be able to spread their messages. Um, but uh, that's kind of what happened with Bitcoin, right? In the beginning, they were saying it's only for criminals and drug dealers and gamblers and whatnot, but now it's everywhere, and you can use it just about for anything. So uh, I think that it's uh, – I like, I like the growth rate of it. I like that it's becoming easier to use. Um, I'm, I was a little bit concerned about this split, but I'm, I'm feeling a lot more confident now between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Uh, I think there's enough space um, in, in the realm of cryptocurrencies to have both and to have both used for different use cases. Um, but recently I've seen a story uh, that, that still end up maybe another split, which is, would be a third Bitcoin. Have you read or heard anything about that? Have an opinion on that? Well, the, the, the Segwit2x thing, I mean, or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand enough of the, the political dynamics about that to know because even even before this split, no one really knew how it was going to shake out, right? That's true. But my understanding is that in November they have to decide whether or not they're going to try to um, put in the du- double the, the bandwidth, double the block size, right? Mm-hmm. So if they if the core people don't want to do that, I'm not sure if there's a point in having a a, a second split and making a third point, or if the people who want a bigger bandwidth would just say, okay. The hell with that! I'm just going to use Bitcoin Cash, right? Because, I mean, I guess you have. I guess there's a narrow slice of people who really want Segwit, but also want a bigger bandwidth. But that seems like a very narrow slice of people. It seems like most people who want a bigger a bigger block size would just say, "The hell with that! I'm going to use Bitcoin." Use Bitcoin PCH, Cash, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, it's it's funny because I I agree with you. I think I think that we're seeing it more and more positively in the news. I I remember when it was super vilified too, and they. I, there's people on the forums that talk about the stages of acceptance, you know, was it denial, anger, grief, all that stuff. But it, it definitely seems like uh, people are taking it seriously, and you see it in the financial magazines and stuff. And I actually, you know, I, I was a little bit worried about the poor thing too, but I remember Mt. Gox, and I remember the bear whale thing, and I remember the 51% thing. And it's like, it seems like it's pretty resilient, and it, it, it seems like it's built to just fork around that stuff. So hopefully it's just one more... I mean, there's probably if it lasts, there's probably going to be more crazy crises in the future too. So hopefully, this is just one more, one more challenge that will make it stronger, right? Yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway from seeing all the adversity that there's been to Bitcoin, and that it just keeps trucking along and keeps hitting new all-time highs. You know, I mean, just hit a new all-time high. You know, between yesterday and today, after all the things that have been happening with this, just shows you it's it's power, it's strength, it's resilience, and it's used to to continue on going forward, and more and more people can adopt and use it. So. Uh, yeah, we, we talked a little bit about you know being positive in the news. I actually seen a story recently from CNBC 
where the lady that was on there decided they were going to try to live a week in New York on Bitcoin. And it seemed like a big, big time hit piece, you know, because they went to places. It seemed like there was people uh, doing it, the, the news lady and the, and the cast that was with her that didn't really know anything about Bitcoin and didn't really know how to utilize Bitcoin and went to places uh, that didn't, you know, obviously didn't have it and then tried to make it look like you couldn't use Bitcoin anywhere in New York City. And then by the end of it, they were talking about, oh, the reason why they couldn't couldn't use it was because it, they were vilifying it. They were saying because uh, mostly it's used for drug dealers and stuff like that. So I decided to uh, to take a world tour. Uh, I actually purchased the world tour, all the flights. I'm going to go from uh, the J Japan to the West Coast of the U.S. Uh, and then go all the way over to the East Coast. So I'm going coast to coast there. Uh, I'm going to do a lot of different things, you know, go to football games, go to, you know, events. I'm going to go to all the same places in New York City that that lady went uh, that she couldn't buy things with Bitcoin. And I'm going to buy them with Bitcoin and I'm going to prove her wrong. Um, but I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to fly from there over to Munich, Germany. I'm going to participate in Oktoberfest with Bitcoin, which is going to be awesome. And then I'm going to go over to Mallorca, Spain, Palma de Mallorca, enjoy a few days there, you know, use Bitcoin there as well. And then up to Barcelona. After that, I'm going to go over to Athens, Greece. I know there's been problems in Greece when it comes to the fiat money over there, but I'm going to utilize Bitcoin to have a good time. And then from there, I'm going to go up through Moscow and down to Thailand. I'm going to use Bitcoin down in Thailand. Uh, and then after that, I'm going to head up to, to Beijing and then back over to Japan. So I'm going to cross the complete globe and the entire trip is going to be on Bitcoin. I'm going to, I've already bought my flights with Bitcoin. I'm going to buy all my hotels. I'm going to use my Zappo card to make purchases, to withdraw from ATMs fiat if I need to in areas where I can't spend Bitcoin directly. I can use the card as a visa for any transactions you know that I need to use a visa card for or whatever. So I'm going to do the entire trip on Bitcoin and I'm going to put it on video and I'm going to show it to the world. What do you think about that, Corb? I think I want to come. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're welcome. <laughs> you can come with me for That's sure. Good. I'll, I know. I'll, you know. You know. Just I've, bring your guitar. I've known. Yeah, sure. Bust, bust for Bitcoin. Yeah. I I've noticed that uh, in my life, like people, last number, all the people in my circle, my friends and stuff, know that I'm into it, and I'm I'm getting more and more of them calling me up and said, "You think how do I do this?" And I'm, I'm like, it's it's ex it's escalating. I think I've I think I got three people into it the day before the fourth or two days before the fourth. So it's it's definitely getting more uh, well well known in mainstream circles. So it. The other thing that I'm not sure how much you want to talk about this, but um, the other thing that Bitcoin does is it really makes you think about what money actually is, right? It's true. Because people say, well, why is, why is Bitcoin worth anything? And then you counter with, well, why is fiat money worth anything? They said, well, because the government backs it. And then you explain why that's abused all the time. And then you bring up gold. And really, the only reason gold is worth anything is because there's a 5,000-year-old human agreement that it's worth something, right? Mm. That's all it really is. And so, and so it's basically it's a big social agreement. And and so the more people that get on board with it, the more it strengthens the whole the whole uh, feature of it. So, yeah, the more yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's basic supply and demand, right? The more people that want it, uh, the more that it's going to be worth. Um, you know, if the supply yep. is down and the demand is high, the the, the price is going to skyrocket, and that's what's happening. More and more demand for it, but the supply is not changing, and the supply is fixed, and so the price is going to continue yeah. to rise with more and more people wanting to to utilize it uh, in their daily lives. Yeah. To, to me, the most fascinating thing about it is just just watching the whole social experiment work. Because I've had tons of late night discussions over beer about it, and, you know, explaining it to people. And it's the whole thing is a really, really interesting. You know, this couldn't have happened 100 years ago. It couldn't happen 10 years ago. It's a really, really fascinating. I've said fascinating like 100 times in this interview, I think. But it is. It's really an interesting thing to watch because it, it's truly, it's totally turning a lot of concepts on their head and about how we think about money and wealth and, and society and how things work. It's really, really 
a cool thing to watch in, in progress. Yeah, you no, know, I think time. I think the big thing to take away from that is that we're at the perfect time in human history to be able to leverage this opportunity going forward with Bitcoin, and so. Uh, definitely uh, recommend that anybody who's listening to this get on board with Bitcoin. Uh, at least learn some more about it. Stop by over at uh, Bitcoin.com slash news. Definitely go to Bitcoin.com slash podcast and see what we've been talking about there. Uh, a Corp, could you let these guys know uh, where, where can they find you? Where can they listen to your music? And, uh, you know, any recommendations on what tracks to listen to? Stuff like that? Sure. Um, yeah, one more time. My name is Corb Lund. So it's C-O-R-B-L-U-N-D. And uh, I'm on Facebook and I'm on YouTube and I'm on Spotify. I'm on all the usual spots. We've got eight or nine records out. Um, I'd recommend Cabin Fever and Counterfeit Blues. I think those are. Okay, those great. Are, yeah, I've listened to them both. They're very fun songs. Uh, how about how cool. about touring? Uh, you're going to be doing any touring? Uh, where, where are you going to next? What does the long raid schedule look like for uh, maybe people that are listening have a chance to to look you up and come to a show? Yeah, I'm in uh, Eastern Canada this weekend and then Montana. And then all through November, I'm doing a Canadian uh, solo tour. And then in the new year, it'll be a lot of American stuff. So okay, I'll great. be around. Well, Corp, thanks very much for uh, for joining us today on Bitcoin.com podcast. I uh, really enjoyed talking to you. And, uh, you know, hopefully that you'll you'll actually uh, join me on this uh, around the world tour I'm doing. If not, maybe at, yeah. at some point, you know, I'll be close enough to you where we could uh, stop and meet up for some beers. That'd be great. You know, one more thing I would like to add is that you, have you heard of Waylon Jennings? He's no, like a classic '70s country artist. I haven't. No. A, a lot of people know Waylon Jennings. He was Willie Nelson's partner for a long time. Okay. Anyway, his son is also a musician. His name is Shooter Jennings, and he's a huge Bitcoin advocate. In fact, he runs nodes and stuff. He's way he's way beyond me in terms of musicians into Bitcoin. You should look him up. He's probably doing interviews with you. Okay. He's he's no, probably okay. got. A, He's got a much wider listenership than me too, so his name's Shooter Jennings. Check him out. Shooter Jennings. Okay, you're gonna make the introduction for me. <laughs> sure. All right, that sounds great. I'll, I'll text. All right, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Corb, and uh, have a great day. And uh, I hope to talk to you again soon. Okay, to the moon. All right, to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Visit Bitcoin.com today, the number one place in the world to learn about Bitcoin. Open your first wallet, buy your first Satoshis, and get involved in the Bitcoin ecosystem that is changing the world as we know it.